Ephesians chapter 5, we are studying God's word. We have been eight weeks in the book of Ephesians so far, and we've got a few more weeks to go, but we're, we're getting there, and we're kicking off Ephesians chapter 5 today, and we're going to read this section. We're supposed to be doing Ephesians 5, 1 through 20, but as I was preparing for this message, um, I realize we're not getting 20 verses in today. There's just, there's just too much. There's too much in here, too much for us to discuss. So we're going to downshift. We're only going to do 10 verses today. We'll do 11 through 20 next week and add one week to our series. So it's going to end up as a 13-week series, uh, but I think it's going to be valuable for us to do it this way because there's so much here we don't want to skip past it. So we're going to read 1 through 10 together, and then we're going to go back through uh, and, and study these verses. Verse 1 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God but among you there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people nor should there be obscenity foolish talk or coarse jesting which are out of place but rather thanksgiving for of this you can be sure no immoral impure or greedy person Such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Would you pray with me very quickly? Father God, we ask today that we would walk out these 10 verses, God, that we would be followers of you, and that we would, as verse 10 says, we would find out what pleases you. God, as we look into the mirror of your word today, help us to see, God, areas that need improvement, areas that need to be worked on, things that need to be changed. God, that we would know how to please you, how to live lives that are glorifying to you, how to be more like you. We thank you for all you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said... Amen. Amen. So we see here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, kind of a thesis sentence, a thesis statement for this section. It's really going to apply to the 10 verses we study today as well as the 10 verses we're going to study next week. But, but Paul says something that we're all probably familiar with, even maybe not in these words, but this idea, this concept is very familiar. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. We see other places in scripture tells us to be imitators of Christ. And when I was in high school in the late 1990s, we threw around these four little letters, right? WWJD. What would Jesus do? We're supposed to, you know, we had it on our bracelet. We had it on our necklace. Like we had this little, this little trend in the culture that kind of popped back up a few years ago. Uh, But this idea that we're supposed to be like him, And Paul sets the tone for where he's going in chapter 5. Remember, through Ephesians, the first three chapters are very Godward, very talking about who he is and giving us deep theology, whereas the last three chapters are very practical. How am I supposed to live? What is my life supposed to look like on this earth? And so we're in this very practical statement, this very practical section And Paul says, follow God's example. So I'm going to have you write down three words if you're taking notes that are super easy and super obvious and things you already know, but sometimes we need to be reminded. So write this down. Write down, be like God. Be like God. It's really complicated, really deep. Um, Genesis chapter 3, at the very beginning, the first two people, Adam and Eve, they sin. 
It's the fall of man in Genesis 3. Why did they fall? One of the reasons that they fell is because the enemy, the serpent, comes and he says, hey, if you eat the fruit, what's going to happen? You'll be like God. You see, there's this motivation in us. There's something in us that I believe is God-given, that is God-placed, where we desire to be like him. Man, all of us, if you're a Christian, for sure, with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, there's something in you that says, yes, I want to be like God. Yes, I want to be like him. I want to reflect him. At the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, he says, I'm going to make you in my image, right? Why? So that we can be like God. The enemy comes into Genesis 3, and he perverts that desire, and he's like, hey, because you want to be like God, let's do this thing that God told you not to do. How does that work? How, do, how does that make any sense? And so he takes that motivation and he twists it, but that motivation's been there from the beginning. And so the Apostle Paul, as he's addressing the church in Ephesus, and I believe as he would address us today, he says, follow God's example. Be like God. We have an adjective for this that we use. We say it's called being godly. How godly is that person? How godly am I? We should all aspire to be godly. Sometimes that's a little bit tougher concept for us to, got, to grasp because we've never seen God. He's invisible, right? And so that's why God sent Jesus. He gave us the image of the invisible God. And that's why many times we would say, be like Jesus. So we would say, reflect Jesus. That's why the bracelet said, what would Jesus do, right? That's why it wasn't WWGD. It was WWJD, right? Thank you, Caleb. Uh, <laughs> Appreciate the support, right? That's why it's WWJD, because Jesus is the picture of the invisible God. He gives us something to aspire to. So if saying follow God's example, if that's too abstract, if they, man, it's hard for me to understand what that exactly looks like. God sent Jesus to give us the exact picture of what it is. Follow Jesus's example. I think we can very capably insert Jesus's name in that verse. So talking about following Jesus's example, We've got six people signed up today to do exactly that and get baptized in water. Following Jesus' example. Yeah, we can celebrate that. And now let me say this. We did our spring baptisms just about six or eight weeks ago, and we had a young man who came to our service who didn't come planning to get baptized, but in, this, in the service, God spoke to him, and he decided, you know what, I'm doing this, and he got baptized that night. So maybe you didn't come signed up to get baptized today, but God's going to speak to you and say, you need to follow Jesus' example this way. You need to let the world know that you identify with Christ through baptism. So if you didn't sign up, but you want to get baptized, we got a spot for you too. we got plenty of water out there. And let me say this, you'll never pick a better time to get baptized at City Church than today because it is nice and warm. Uh, we, we have had some people suffer for Jesus in baptism and some cold tanks before. That is not the case today. You're going to feel real nice when you get baptized today. Not why you get baptized, but it's a nice bonus, right? So we're called to be like Jesus, to be like God. But notice how Paul frames this. He's not calling them to, he's not saying, hey, you're a bunch of sinners. You need to be like God. Hey, you're failing and you're falling. You need to be like God. You know what he says? He says, as dearly loved children. I love how he frames this. I think that tone is very important for us today because as we move through these next nine verses, it's going to get a little personal. It's going to get a little bit up in our grill. It's going to maybe be a little uncomfortable. The Apostle Paul, the Word of God, your, your preacher, may get on your toes a little bit today as we work through this. 
Uh, And so we want to make sure we have the right context for this. This is not Paul shouting down at them. This is not him condemning them. This is not him putting them down. This is not him pointing and saying, you failures. He's saying, you're dearly loved children. And because you're dearly loved children, I want to help you be more like daddy. Let's sit down and let's break down what it means to be like daddy. This is the context, the tone that Paul takes on. I love that he includes this phrase as dearly loved children. So now he's going to take the next 19 verses and the next nine that we'll study today, the next 10 we'll study next week, and he's going to tell us how. What does it mean to be like God? What does it mean to be like Jesus? So let's start again in verse 1, and we'll read it together. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he says, follow God's example in verse 1. Verse 2, he points to Jesus' example. He says, here's how I want you to be like God. I want you to be just the way that Christ was. I want you to love just the way that Christ loved, that he even gave himself up for us as a sacrifice. So the next thing I want you to write down today is this. Being like God means walking in sacrificial love. What does it mean to be like God? He's going to give us a lot of things not to do as we work through this passage. But before he gets to the do nots, he starts out with the really strong do. What does it mean to look like Jesus? It means living in sacrificial love. It means laying down your life for somebody else. It means realizing there's a higher purpose, a higher calling, a greater glory out there than just my own glory than just my own life, than just my own pleasure, than just making it through and paying the bills and all those other things that we focus on. There's something bigger. There's something greater. And so he calls us to live a life of sacrificial love. Paul isn't appealing to us to have God's power when he says, I want you to be like God. He's appealing to us first and foremost to have God's heart when he says to be like God. doesn't mean we can't access his power. doesn't mean the Holy Spirit isn't in us. Those, those things are important. But he says, man, when I want you to be like God, the most important thing you can get is God's heart. The most important thing you can have is his love for others, for his son, for the church. I need you to get a hold of this at the beginning. Sacrifice, of course, we talked about at Camp 662 a a little over a week ago, is giving up something that we love for something that we love more. Sacrifice hurts sometimes. Sometimes it means, man, giving up something that that looks so appealing or seems so much fun, but recognizing, you know what, there's something even greater, something more important. Paul says this is the kind of love that will make you like God. You want to be more like God? You want to be more godly? Start with being more sacrificial. Start for looking for opportunities to deny yourself and be a blessing to others. Start for, with looking for those chances. You want to be more like God, this is where it starts. It's not where it ends. There's more to it than just that. But it's the first step for us as, as individuals, as followers of Christ, as a church, a corporate body. Man, I want us to be more like Jesus in 2018 than we were in 2017. We're, we're at the halfway point of the year. Can you believe that? You remember all your resolutions that you gave up on middle of January, right? Like this is six months ago. We're halfway through 2018. All those goals, all those aspirations, all that stuff we wanted to accomplish, the clock's ticking. And I want us to get to the end of 2018 closer to God than we were at the beginning. I want us to look more like him as we get to the end of the year than we did at the start. And I believe that this is one of the biggest keys Paul lays out for us in verse 2. Sacrificial love. He, He tells us being like God means walking 
and sacrificial love. Verse three, now we're going to transition to more of the do nots, right? He paints the picture of what does it mean to look like God? Now he's going to paint the picture of what it means to not look like God. So he says, but among you, there must be not even a hint. Everybody say a hint. Not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Why? Because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint. Now, I'm a youth pastor by, by experience and by heart, right? I've been a pastor now for six years, but I've been in youth ministry since 2001. So I got a lot of experience teaching Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. How many of you know, youth pastor, one of the things you teach the most is don't have sex outside of marriage, right? Like, we're, we're constantly putting that out there. It's always a theme. We do it every February here at City Church. So I've taught Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 quite a bit, focusing on, on the beginning of that. There should be not even a hint of sexual immorality. But, but what does it mean to, for there to not be a hint of something? Well, let, let's talk about what a hint is. If, if I got you a gift, and I probably didn't, so don't get too excited. Um, but let's just say I got you a gift, or your birthday's coming up, and I got you a birthday present, and you're one of those people that can't wait until your birthday. So you say these famous words, right? Give me a hint. What are you asking for? You're asking for information that's going to lead you to a conclusion. You're not asking for me to tell you what it is. You're not asking for the present, but you're asking for something that's going to help you get there in your mind, right? So what is a hint of sexual immorality? It's not sexual immorality. It's anything that helps you get to sexual immorality in your mind. Here's the way that we always teach it to teenagers. Sexual immorality is anything that looks like sex, Sounds like sex or feels like sex. Now, for adults, in this context, I have to change that just a little bit. I'd have to say sexual morality is anything outside of marriage that looks like sex, sounds like sex, or feels like sex. Because you are allowed, as a married person, and encouraged, biblically, to participate in sex. It's not immorality. But, but anything outside of that, anything outside of the, the marriage bed, anything outside of husband and wife... That leads you to that place in your mind is a hint of sexual morality. Now, let me just say this. We live in 2018 in America. There's a whole lot of hints going around. Right? It's hard to turn on the TV without a hint. It's hard to listen to the radio without a hint. It's hard to get on the internet without a hint. It's hard to keep yourself from having hints. And so Paul says, among you, there must be not even a hint. Why? He says, because it's improper for God's holy people. Notice how he frames it. He doesn't say it's improper and it makes you unholy. He says, you're already holy. God's already imputed his holiness into you. You're a Christian. You've already been set apart. And because you've been set apart, now I'm calling you to live set apart. But PT, this means I have to really adjust my entertainment. It means I have to change my conversations. It means I might have to not hang out with some of the people that I hang out with. What's Paul calling us to do? To be set apart. He says, among you, God's people, there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality. And while we may look at our year and our calendar and our nation and say, man, this is really difficult for us right now, Paul was writing this to, a, to an extremely ungodly culture. 
to people who have been saved out of, out of a culture that was full of debauchery, that was full of sin, that was full of sexual immorality. And he said, you know what? It's possible for you, Christian, to live a life where there's not even a hint of sexual immorality. And if they could do it 2,000 years ago in Ephesus, I believe the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the Holy Spirit inside of us is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if they could be called to that level then, I think we can be called to it now. He's called us to live a life devoid of any hints of sexual immorality. Now, when I was in college, I was a sophomore in Bible college. Started my sophomore year, um, and I had just come out of two kind of back-to-back long-term relationships. I had dated a girl for two years in high school, dated another girl for a year and a half in high school, and in college, and I was a Christian. I was going to Bible college to be a pastor, uh, but I had spent about four years with a whole lot of hints of sexual immorality. I hadn't gone, quote, all the way, but I had done a whole lot of things that I knew were outside of God's best and God's boundaries. I had sinned again and again and again. And I was at a retreat for a, a ministry, a campus ministry called Light Zone, uh, and they, they started off the year with this retreat, and we were supposed to go, and we were supposed to spend an hour with God on Saturday. And it had been a long time since I spent an hour with God. How many know when you're under conviction, it's really hard to spend that time with God? Like, you start finding a lot of excuses not to spend time with God when you're, when you're in sin. So I was finding a lot of excuses, right? And so I had to spend an hour with God, and, and it was alone in the, in the woods. And I got alone with God, and I leaned into it. I could have leaned away. I could have found an excuse or, or pretended, but you know what? I loved God, and I wanted to get right. So, so I leaned in, and long story short, in the matter of this time, this hour, God did a lot of things in me, and one of the things he did is he told me, and it's funny that, that Hunter shared that testimony today. Uh, he told me, he said, you're, and I'm not saying Hunter was, like, in sexual immorality. Sorry. Let me just clarify this. <laughs> just put Hunter on blast. It's uh, not what I'm saying. I'll, it'll tie together, I promise. Uh, I felt God's... Spirit tell me this. He said, you can't be in a dating relationship and glorify me. Not saying that nobody can, but you can't, right? That I was at a place where if I was going to date, I was going to fool around. And so he said, if you really want to glorify me, dating's got to be off the table. And so I said, okay. So I made God this promise. And it's funny how we make God promises and we have no idea what we're saying. Um, I made God this promise. I said, okay, I'm going to go a year without dating. And I'm just going to focus on my walk with you. I'm just going to get right with you. I'm going to get this thing to the place it needs to be. I was 19 years old. I was about to turn 20. And I made this decision. Little did I know that one year was going to be four years. I didn't know how messed up I was, apparently. Because it was going to take a lot longer before God gave me the go-ahead to start dating again. But I'm so grateful for those four years. God was able to to reset some things in me, to reprogram some things in me, to free me of some things. Um, I'm happily married today. I absolutely believe because of those four years. I wouldn't have been blessed with with the godly wife that I have. I wouldn't have been blessed with the the marriage that I have had it not been for those four years. And four years is a long time. Some of you are like, man, I don't go in four weeks. What are you talking about? Um, um, This is not, this is for everybody. This is what God said for me. This is what he, he had for me. This is what he had to do in me. But I tell you all that to say this. This isn't something to play around with. 
if, if, you, if you find yourself in this place where there's just a whole lot of hints popping up, where, man, this is a frequent thing, this is a struggle, whether it, it, it may look like something personal with you in the computer, it may look like something with you and other people, what, whatever it might look like, if this is an ongoing struggle, it's not something to play with. God's serious about his call for holiness for his people. He doesn't lower the standard because the standard's lowered in our culture. In fact, I believe that as, as our culture continues to get worse, the importance, the priority of us living up to God's word is just going to increase. The world needs some people who take this thing seriously. God's looking for some people who are willing to be like him. And guess what? There's not even a hint of sexual immorality in Jesus. There's not even a hint of sexual immorality in the God that I serve. And so when Paul tells us among you, but there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality, he's saying it in the context of follow God's example. He says, these aren't, they're not right. They don't belong here. And you can fill in whatever blank that may look like in your life. But let me say this. He's speaking number one to God's dearly loved children. If you're in that place today, he's not mad at you. He's not after you. He hasn't written you off. He hasn't given up on you. He loves you. But if you're in that place, he is serious about getting rid of it. He is serious about getting it out of you. He is serious about cutting it off. And that may mean having to do some pretty unnormal things. That may mean having to do some things that aren't easy, that aren't natural. It was not easy as a 19-year-old on a college campus to say, I'm not going to date for you really wasn't easy as a 20-year-old and a 21-year-old and a 22-year-old to continue not dating. But I'm so glad I obeyed God's call on my life. I'm so glad I listened to his voice and I was willing to sacrifice that thing, to give up that thing that I loved for the thing that I loved more. And I believe God's calling some of us in this room right now to go to war with some sin. To quit tolerating it, to quit ignoring it, to quit thinking it's okay, to quit justifying it and saying so many other people deal with this too. It's just part of life. I believe God wants you to be free. I believe God's made it possible for you to be free. And I believe he's called us to a place where there's not even a hint of sexual morality. Now, he doesn't stop there. He says not even a hint of impurity, not even a hint of greed, that none of these things are proper for God's holy people, but but as I look across the room today, as I know people who love Jesus in this room, I don't know all of you, but I know a lot of you, I think the one that we probably struggle with the most is the first one. I think the one that, that we probably have the greatest potential for freedom in, the greatest potential for, for realizing what God has for us is, is not even a hint of sexual immorality. So I encourage you, if that's you today, don't, don't lean away from God's voice, lean into it. Man, if, if you don't know what that looks like to get free, if you don't know what that looks like, man, talk to me, talk to one of our elders, talk to one of our leaders. We want to pray with you. We want to believe God with you. We want to lay out a plan for you to get free. You can be free. Quit believing the lie that you can't. You're God's dearly loved child. You don't have to be stuck. You don't have to be in bondage. You don't have to be in addiction. You don't have to be in a habit that continues to suck the life out of you. You don't. Amen? Amen. Verse 4, moving forward. He says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So he moves from, 
from the body, from the mind, from the sexual morality. Now he's, let's, let's talk about your tongue. What's coming out of your mouth? What are you talking about? He says, dirty jokes are out of place. As believers, why is it so important for us to watch what we say in this area? Because we should never trivialize sexuality. When, when we make jokes, and, and this is something that I've struggled with. So I'm, this is, I can say, hey, I got free on the other side. I'm still working towards freedom on this one, all right? So I'm, I'm going to put myself right there and just be very transparent. I've, I've, I've crossed this line many times. Why is it important? Here, here's what I've, I feel like I discovered as I was researching for this message, that when we make jokes that are inappropriate, what we do is we trivialize sexuality, this thing that God has placed a high value on, this thing that God gave us as a blessing, this thing that God gave us to, to, to be something, to, to bring good things into our life, to bring intimacy, to bring reproduction, uh, to, to bring pleasure, like that he designed for us, he created it for us, and when we make jokes, we trivialize it, we diminish it, we devalue it. So as God's people, as believers, we must never trivialize the thing that God does not trivialize, the thing that God prioritizes. Now, the other thing is we can do is we can idolize sexuality, and we can make our whole life revolve around sexuality, and that's a ditch as well, right? There's the ditch of trivializing it, and there's the ditch of idolizing it. God's word isn't to do either. It's a blessing that he's given us, and we need to treat it as such. It's not everything. We don't idolize it. We don't make an idol out of it. So he says these things are out of place. What's not out of place? He contrasts obscenity. He contrasts coarse jesting with thanksgiving. Why? Because I think what he's getting at is your mouth can go one of two directions, right? It can go in a direction that degrades or it can go in a direction that uplifts. It can go in a direction that that separates us from his best or it can go in a direction that, that places him on the throne. So he calls us to thankfulness. So here's the challenge for those of us who like to be funny. Uh, Next time you have that temptation, find a way to give God some thanks. Find a way to, man, what can I think? What what do I need to be thankful for right now? God, thankful for self-control in Jesus' name. (laughs) Thank you for discipline in Jesus' name. Thank you for wisdom in Jesus' name. Thank you that Man, your word is there to be an instruction for me and to warn me and to show me when I'm doing stupid stuff, God. Why? Remember the context of this. Because we want to be like God, right? Because you want to be godly. You want to be like Jesus. That's the reflection you want in your life. And Jesus isn't sitting around making dirty jokes. He's just not. You know what Jesus is full of? Thankfulness. Thanksgiving. Glory to his Father. So he says, insert that into your mouth instead. Verse 5, he says, for of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So he goes back through this list. He said there can't be a hint of immorality. There can't be a hint of impurity. There can't be a hint of greed. Now he comes back to those three things. He says, no immoral, impure, or greedy person. All of these people are idolaters. They don't have a share in the inheritance of Christ and of God. What does that mean? mean for me. I thought I was a Christian and I was just struggling. Now you just told me I don't have a share in the kingdom of God. Well, I want to show you this because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the apostle Paul unpacks a very similar list, but he goes more in depth and and he talks a little bit more about it. And I think it's going to shed some light for us on what he's getting at here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, he says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers 
will inherit the kingdom of God. Same language he uses in Ephesians. He won't inherit the kingdom of God. But he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 11. He says, and that is what some of you were. Everybody say were. That is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Part of our vision at City Church is we want to be a church that looks like heaven. And that means a few different things. One of the things that it means to us specifically is we want to be a church for every sinful background. We want to have people coming out of everything in our church. Why? Because heaven's going to be full of people who came out of all kinds of junk, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of mess. I love 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 10, and 11 because Paul lists out, here's things that are unacceptable for God's people. Here's things that, that aren't going to get you where you want to go. But then he clarifies, man, we got a whole lot of this in our past. We got a whole lot of this in the house. We got a whole lot of us that, that we're moving out of this. But because of the sanctification, because of the freedom of Christ, because he's washed us and set us free, that's not who we are anymore. So some of us in this room, you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been set free, but you still got some of this stuff in your life. What do we do with that? Does that mean you can't go to heaven? I don't think that's what Paul's saying. Here's, here's, here's what we say at City Church is one of our values that, that I'm so proud of that I think is so important. We, we say this, and I want everybody to know this. You are free to struggle here. You're free to struggle here. You're free to struggle with any sin that was on that list or any sin that's on a different list or any sin that we ain't even heard of yet. You're free to struggle. What does it mean to struggle? Struggle means you're in process. Struggle means you're not okay with it. You recognize that it's a problem. You recognize that it's an issue. And maybe I haven't discovered full freedom in it yet, but I'm pursuing that freedom. I'm not content with my sin. I'm not happy with my sin. I'm not justifying and saying, this is just the way I'm always going to be. This is just my personality. We're recognizing, you know what, man, there's some things about what God's called me to that we don't all walk in yet. There's some places he wants to take me in Jesus that I haven't gotten to yet. And so I'm pursuing that. And sometimes it's a struggle. And sometimes I might be a little up and sometimes I might be a little down, but I'm moving in the right direction. And so if you're struggling with any of that stuff here today, I want you to know this message is not a you need to get out of here because you're not good enough to be part of this church. Trust me, you are good enough. It's a low bar. We got, a, we got some issues here, okay? <laughs> Let's just be real. You're free to struggle here. You're not free to say this is just who I am and how I'm always going to be. We're free to pursue God's best in our life. And you may be a long, long way from it, but as long as you're willing to engage the process and pursue it, then I believe that you got a place in the kingdom of God. I guarantee you you've got a place in City Church, and I think that's what Paul's speaking to. Amen? Amen. Verse 6. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So now he's going to pivot a little bit from, from talking about lifestyle to talking about beliefs. So he, he's addressing a group known as the Gnostics. The Gnostics had, had kind of flared up right around this time, and they had a lot of messed up beliefs, and they were trying to creep into Christianity. They were trying to, to, to divert what God was doing in his people. And so Paul begins to address them. One of the things he has to address is this idea of antinomianism. It's a, it's a really big word, antinomianism. What, what it means is this. It's this idea that as soon as we get saved, once we've come to Jesus, it doesn't matter how we live because it's already been paid for. Nothing matters. I can do what I want. Uh, the Gnostics, they believed in this duality. They believed in this idea that the body and the soul were separate, and your body could engage in sin and your soul could still be pure. 
Uh, and so you can do what you want with your body. And, and Paul's addressing this, and he's hitting it straight on, and he's saying, no, that's wrong. Don't let anybody deceive you. The way that you live matters, Christian. The stuff that we watch matters, right? The conversations we get in matters. The stuff we listen to matters. All of this stuff matters. Don't deceive yourself and say, hey, well, Jesus paid the price for it, so I don't got to worry about it. Yes, Jesus paid the price for it. That's why I need to worry about it, because my God had to die so I could be free from sin. He sacrificed himself so I could be free. That's how important freedom is to him. How important is your freedom to you? He wants us to be free. Don't deceive yourself. Verse 7, he says, therefore, do not be partners with them. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you get advice from. Sometimes I see people putting like these major life situations out on Facebook and, man, taking advice from any random person on your friends list. Don't do that. Man, if you got major life decisions to make, don't trust that to whoever happens to have their phone on them and be on Facebook that day, right? Like, like seek wise counsel. Seek some, surround yourself with some people who are, who are pursuing God's best in their life and trust them with that big advice. But don't be partners with just anybody who has any idea. Verse 8 through 10, we're almost there. We're going to go through these three together. It says, for you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Look at somebody say, live as a child of light. It says, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. What are we doing today? Hopefully we're finding out what pleases the Lord. Maybe this isn't the most exciting or inspiring message that we've ever had. Maybe it isn't the one that's going to get you the most fired up. It's definitely not the one where I got the most amens. That's okay. I love you anyway. Thank you. Thank you. But we got to find out what pleases the Lord, church. If we're going to follow God's example, we've got to know what he wants for us. And we've got to realize that he's not settling for us being like the world. He's called us out of the world. He's not settling for us looking like the darkness. He's called us to be children of light. That means the way that we live, the things that we do, man, when the light gets shown on them, man, that, that we got nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be ashamed of, nothing, nothing to hide. Because we're living our life above board because we're the same person at church on Sunday morning as we are wherever we happen to be on Friday night or whenever we happen to be alone with nobody around. That, this integrity doesn't mean that we have to be there perfectly right now. I'm not. But he's calling us to be more like Jesus. He's calling us to be more godly. He's calling us to discover what pleases the Lord. And the best place we can do that is in the word of God. It's going to lay out for us who he is. How do we follow his example if we don't know him? How do we follow his example if we don't know what that looks like? We got to be in the word. How do we know what pleases him if we're not studying his word? Man, we got to be in it. We we can't rely on hoping that we make it to church on Sunday morning and hoping that's enough. I'm not that good a preacher. Truth is, nobody's that good a preacher. You hear the best sermon in the world on Sunday morning. If that's all you get, it's not enough. You got to be in the word for yourself. You got to study this for yourself. You got to have conversation with God for yourself if you're going to live up to God's incredible call on your life. So let's not forget this. All this comes from God's word, from the Apostle Paul, from the Holy Spirit to us as dearly loved children. Right? You're dearly loved. You may be off on some of this. You may be walking in sexual immorality. You're dearly loved. You may be walking in greed. 
you're dearly loved. You may be walking in deceitfulness. You may be living a double life that nobody knows about. Know this today. You're dearly loved. But God's called you to a better place. And it's time to embrace the struggle. It's time to say, you know what, God, I'm not going to settle for second best. I'm not going to settle for being an average American Christian. I'm not going to settle for anything short than being exactly who you've called me to be, exactly who you've created me to be, and you've called me to be like Jesus. And I want to be godly. And if we're willing to do that, I believe with everything that I am that God's Holy Spirit is going to fill us and empower us and enable us to do that. So we want to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. As we get ready to follow Jesus, if you're getting baptized today, this is the time you can go ahead and slip out and get changed and ready. Uh, We're going to be with you in just a few minutes. The worship team is going to come down as well. I want to close our message with this as we get ready to to pray. I want to ask you this very simple question. Paul closed this, this section that we just read with this statement. He said, find out what pleases the Lord. So my question for you today, Christian. And this question is for Christians. If you're not a Christian here today, let let me say this, man. We're going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ. There is no condemnation on you for the way that you live. You don't have the power to to cut this stuff off. Until you come to Jesus and have the Holy Spirit, it is impossible for you to live up to God's expectations. For the rest of us, we don't have that excuse. So if you're here today and God's Spirit lives in you and has empowered you, let me say this. What do you see in you that you know right now today doesn't please God. What's there? Maybe it's the way that you talk. Maybe it's what you do when nobody's around. Maybe it's what you do around a certain group of people. I I don't know what it might be. Maybe it's nothing. I hope it is. If it is, man, you're better than me and you're preaching next week. Um, But what is in your life that doesn't please him? Because the reason that we look into God's word is it's like a mirror and it's supposed to show us what's a little bit off. Supposed to show us that thing that's hanging out of our nose, right? We don't look in the mirror and see that thing hanging out of our nose and say, uh, oh, it'll be all right. Other people have boogers too. It's not a big deal. They understand, right? Nobody does that. You see that and you're like, oh, that's gross. And you deal with it, right? So as we look into God's word today and you see something in you in the reflection that doesn't please God, deal with it. Deal with it. I believe that God's spirit in you is enough to tell you what you need. Maybe it's a big issue and you don't know where to go. And talk to somebody. Get with one of us. We would love to pray with you. We would love to partner with you in this. But, but as we look into the mirror, when we see stuff that's off, we got to deal with it. So what's there that doesn't please God? But remember this. The picture, the face, there might be some things there that don't please God. But you're the dearly loved child. He's got your picture on his desk he's got your picture there why because he loves you so it's not here to condemn you man you just got your picture as the background on his iphone right god has an iphone i'm convinced of that um why because you're a dearly loved child sometimes our dearly loved children got some stuff that needs to be fixed Sometimes our dearly loved children get some stuff that's, that's out of line that has to be addressed, but it doesn't change their status as dearly loved children. So don't you dare walk out of here today and feel condemnation. Don't you dare walk out of here today and feel shame. Don't you dare walk out of here today and think I'm not good enough to be part of that church. That's not what the message is. The message is fix it. Go to work. 
deal with it. Whatever's there that doesn't please God, man, let's start blowing our nose. Amen? Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for awesome people that want to be like you. Lord, I ask that you would speak so clearly to our hearts. God, stuff that, that's off. There's stuff that, that doesn't belong. Help us to identify it. Help us to address it. Help us to get rid of it in Jesus' name. God, I ask that you would help the truth that we are dearly loved children to resound through this Lord, that we would not forget our place. We would not forget the love that you have for us. We would not forget your desire for us to be the very best that we can be. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit empowering us and enabling us to deal with this stuff. Whatever it is, God, I pray that you would give us strength, you would give us power, you would give us courage to be free from whatever it is that's preventing us from pleasing you to the fullest. We want to please you. We want to be like you. We want to follow your example. Help us to do that, God, in Jesus' name.